surprise, I'm actually back. So I'm going to be doing this very interesting conversation. Hope you guys are obviously doing well uh, this evening. Hope you enjoyed the live stream that we just finished uh, a few minutes ago. And so uh, obviously waiting for my friend, Amy C3, who is a housing rights advocate out in Los Angeles. And now gonna have the opportunity to talk about real estate, which is very important because I think a lot of people are obviously, um, you know, fairly misinformed about it. I think that's one way of looking at it. And there is a housing crisis of substantial proportions and we need to be able to have this conversation uh, from a realtor's perspective, because I'm in a very interesting industry now. And let's see what happened with Amy. And we will get this conversation started in just one minute. But if you guys are here, please hit the like button. Very important. And share. I know I didn't announce this live stream. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen or not. But for those of you who may or may not know, I am a new real estate agent with Keller Williams in Plantation, Florida. The name of the brokerage is Central, KW Central, Central Broward, if we're being technical. And this is a part of my career. Uh, so I help people find their, perhaps their forever home or perhaps their rental circumstance, perhaps an investment property, perhaps even an opportunity to open a small business via commercial property. So there are many layers to real estate that not everybody is necessarily aware of, uh, but it is something that is a very important issue to me personally. And one of the reasons why it is an important issue to me is equity. You know, that is something we will talk about um, obviously at length uh, with Amy. So um, just waiting uh, for her to return. Uh, so we'll bear for a moment. Uh, but yeah, hope you guys uh, definitely got, you know, some good info as we discussed earlier this evening from Ariana Peckery. And that was obviously an allusion, uh, alluded to, um, you know, the issues that exist in corporate media. And that is very true when we're thinking about you know, real estate as well. One of the things that corporate media does not talk about is just what an absolute rigged game real estate has become for far too many people, especially in lieu of the pandemic. You know, that was a huge problem. The pandemic showed us that so many mega corporations can just come in and buy up as many uh, commercial properties. And remember, commercial uh, is also different regarding uh you know, people think that commercial is just where you run your business, but believe it or not, commercial is also uh, where uh, people live if there's more than four units. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to real estate that many people need to understand. And the lack of regulation within the industry is a big reason why homelessness is such a crisis why people are not able to own property. Uh, it becomes a huge, huge problem for everyday people who are struggling to get by, 
And even if they're in a financial situation where they have just enough money to potentially own a property, in many cases, it's seemingly elusive because we have issues like credit scores. We have issues like uh, you know, uh, employment history. Not so much what you're doing now, but in some cases, they want to know what you did two years ago, what you did five, even 10 years ago to see that you're suitable to own a home. And so that's a big problem. I deal with it all the time. To be honest, I would rather deal with, you know, a lot of different people uh, that ultimately uh, are just trying to buy their first home than have to deal with people with, I mean, I know everyone wants to work with un, unlimited sums of money. We all want to be able to make that money, you know, but ultimately home ownership is one of the great stepping stones towards, well, you want to say the middle class, you want to say towards uh, asset allocation, retirement. There's many advantages to being a homeowner. So those things really do matter. And whether we like it or not, it is the name of the game as it still stands today. And, you know, from where I sit, uh, I tell people all the time, you know, if you have to rent, you rent because you don't, that's, that's the only game in town. You rent if you absolutely have to rent. But if you can own ownership, home ownership, especially, even if it's a condo, it could be a two bedroom, you know, 800 square foot condo, but it's yours. And that matters. And so here in Florida, we have a real crisis. These mega corporations are buying up properties all throughout the state, people owning real estate and trying to turn everybody into renters for the rest of their lives. That's not good. And not having this conversation about it is even worse because a lot of people are just this attitude that, oh, you know, it's capitalism. I can't fight on that front. No excuse. Knowledge is power. The knowledge that comes with understanding real estate, I think, is very important. So let's give Amy another minute. I'm guessing it's probably a connection issue that she may be having right now. Uh, who knows? She may want me to come over to her channel. Whatever it's going to be, I'm game. So hopefully we get this thing sorted out uh, any second. Uh, but I don't want to just be having a conversation just with myself regarding real estate. I think it's very important that anyone who is here, anybody who is listening, who may have questions, you know, hit the like button. And definitely let's uh, try to get this out there if people want to see it and may be curious as to how this works. Uh, Going to test a couple of things. Excuse me. So I really do wonder what's going to happen as the economy uh, is still somewhat in limbo. And now you have, we'll talk about this obviously with Amy, uh, assuming the conversation does come about. Uh, you know, what happened with Larry Summers today talking about austerity? Anyway, uh, I think I may have said something about austerity and the alarm went off. Uh, we can't talk about that. Um, but of course, Larry Summers was out there today talking about austerity. Uh, that was pretty ridiculous. You know, regarding 
you know, housing in the United States regarding the economy as it stands today. We're sitting in a very dangerous position right now uh, because unemployment might very well uh, get jacked up as a result of this decision. But it looks like my good friend Amy C3 has finally figured out the tech stuff. I had to put together a big, long uh, banner headline. But Amy, welcome to, I don't know what I'm going to call this. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a colorful conversation. And I thought that it would be fitting to just use the background where it looks like I'm in a uh, model home that you might show to potential clients. I don't know if that's a home that I would normally show if I was in the Los Angeles area. I'm trying to think of like what oh. part of the country that would remind me of. I can see the big stone fireplace in the background, which looks nice. Uh, maybe that's like New Mexico or Texas or something like that. Oh, yeah. you could see this and um, it would be it would be like I could see it more like in Dallas. I could see this being like a Dallas, Texas home. Dallas has a very distinct look. I actually, go figure, I dated a tall blonde from Texas um, back in the day. And I can tell you when I was dating her, and this was in New Jersey, they converted their house into make it look just like Dallas. You had the big, you had the big longhorns, you had uh -huh. the high ceilings, you had, it was like, we're going to make this like Texas one way or the other. And that is exactly what they did. They brought Texas with them. You can't, you can't take the, you can take the people out of Texas. You can't take Texas out of the people. That's what they always say. No, you definitely can't. And just like you can't, you can, you can take the girl out of Appalachia, but you can't take Appalachia out of the girl. That's right. Even though I worked tirelessly to get rid of my little Southern twang to no avail though. <laughs> I am sure it is very cute depending on what you're saying. And that of it course rears its ugly head in the worst moments. Well, it'll probably come in these moments because I'm sure when you get heated, that's when it tends to come out just as it, it is actually it does. Yeah. Whenever I yeah. get mad, it does. Start to, yeah. Well, a uh, political, uh, a political uh, friend, um, Paula Jean Swearingen and uh, friend um, Zaina Day, uh, they are both from Appalachia and when they get upset, they definitely let the twang fly high. So, you know, if there's nothing wrong with it, you gotta always be, uh, you, you always have to be as transparent, as honest as you possibly can. I think this is a subject that's probably a long time coming and one that never really gets talked about, I guess what you would say in left circles per se, but it's very important that we do talk about it. Um, what I was alluding to as you were coming on was what happened today uh, regarding Larry Summers, who has doubled down on this idea that austerity must rule the day. We must increase unemployment in order to deal with inflation rather than corporate greed. And corporate greed obviously rears its ugly head every day in the real estate world. So what are your thoughts about Larry Summers saying that, you know, we have to force people out of work because that's the only way we can deal with un with inflation problems? I was actually covering this a little earlier. I released a three minute, very short and very uh, dense video that postulates this possibility that it's actually the Federal Reserve who's responsible for this, you know, coming recession. And Larry Summers kind of proving that the Federal Reserve is actually willing to make people lose their jobs instead of getting at the heart of the matter, which is that corporations have been exerting more control over the market with their 
capabilities of setting prices and their price gouging that has been kind of, I think, uh, misunderstood or misconstrued to be inflation is where we're in this predicament where the federal funds rate that has been rising incrementally over the last six months or so hasn't done what it's supposed to do, which is to get a hold of this unprecedented inflation. And a lot of this does stem from the Federal Reserve realizing that they needed to intervene uh, to try to capture what could be the end results of market volatility that looked very similar to what happened in 2008, because these corporations on Wall Street didn't have to reel it back after new regulations were set. They found, they found a new way to trade on mortgage debt in particular, toxic mortgage debt specifically, through a new secondary market that they created that was funneled through the commercial mortgage-backed securities market instead of the regular agency or residential mortgage-backed securities market. And um, they did pretty much what they were doing up until the big burst of 2008. It was just with new debt that was packaged and sold from private equity firms who became corporate landlords. And that's the same thing that has been going on for quite some time now. And the Fed knew they had to intervene and they hired BlackRock as their consultants and they bought all of that toxic mortgage debt before people started to default in mass and create what would be a very similar uh, outcome as what we saw in the 2007-2008 era when the subprime mortgage market collapsed. And it's it's getting it's getting pretty bad and I will say that whenever I hear the the whenever I hear BlackRock I immediately think of, you know, coal country in West Virginia. I don't know. The the yeah. sound, the word BlackRock is so dirty in literally and figuratively, but private equity firms are without question probably the biggest cockroaches in the entire unfettered capitalist system that we have in our country today. Um, they have reared their ugly head into the world of real estate. They've always been there, but what transpired over the course of the COVID pandemic, uh, it cannot be overstated just how detrimental it's been, whether in Southern California or in South Florida, um, it happens everywhere, but it's really taken the turn for the worst. And What's unique about the circumstances we're in right now is that it's not like 2008, 2009, because nowadays most people can't afford to, to own a home. We have created this rental economy that the private equity firms have been allowed to get away with. This is one of DeSantis's blackest marks, and it's going to come and it's going to haunt him when he runs for president. He'll figure out a way to talk around it, but it's definitely something that has become an exponential crisis here in the state of Florida. So one of the things I always try to emphasize as an agent is even if you can only afford, you know, a hundred thousand dollar condo, two bedroom in maybe a very working class, if if not outright, um, you know, area that is somewhat questionable. Ownership, equity is the most important thing that an individual can do for themselves if they're trying to protect themselves for long term. But at the end of the day, even that's becoming more and more difficult because these private equity firms are buying up every single piece of property they can get their hands on and mm -hmm. turn everyone into a renter for the rest of their lives. How yep. this is a bigger crisis and isn't being talked about, I, I, I'm beside myself at this point. Love your thoughts on that. 
I think that they did a really good job of covering their tracks and they created these new means of trading on debt that wasn't captured by FDIC standards or regulated by Congress. They are shuffling money through SEC regulated private equity firms and asset management firms like Blackstone and BlackRock, respectively. And um, there's just not as many eyes on these potential, these specific markets and the potential for them to go bust became present, uh, you know, by the the Fed, at least, because that's the reason why I believe they did start their quantitative easing program where they didn't just buy, you know, billions of dollars worth of treasury bonds. They bought billions of dollars of mortgage-backed securities on both the residential and the commercial mortgage market, which is where the rental debt that private equity firms are buying and selling is moving through and they just created new markets to move the same kind of debt through. And it's our rental payments that are making these investment firms a lot of money because private equity firms are notoriously overcharge for single family homes that they have acquired and then packaged as a security and have sold all the same as they did in 2008, like mentioned. And, um, that market never really died. There was just a new way of creating those means of moving monies from point A to point B. And the amount of money that private equity firms were willing to spend for homes when it became really cheap to borrow money and outcompete regular people in the mortgage market during COVID-19 I think is questionable in and of itself, seeing as though what happened in the last big housing market collapse was the overvaluation of homes and overinflating the aggregate value of homes nationwide is what led to that big market crash and people defaulting on their loans and foreclosing on those loans because notoriously... (laughs) Uh, happening at the same time was uh, the commercial banks not giving bailout money to those underwater homeowners who had defaulted. They just moved forward and let and let them foreclose, which is what was not a condition of receiving that bailout money from the government. Mind you, they were supposed to modify those mortgages and they did it. And that's the reason why 10 million people foreclosed on their homes between 2006 and 2014. And private equity firms were kind of in on this new scheme that was created. It was the idea was uh, conjured up by one of the largest investor firms who took some of the largest bailout money, uh, Morgan Stanley, who thought that there was an opportunity to capitalize on the investment of foreclosed homes to create what they called a society of renters. So this wasn't just uh, this wasn't just like a concept that kind of grew out of thin air. It was planned and there was a strategy to take advantage of all of the foreclosed homes that these investment banks helped to tank. And and from there the single family rental market really emerged and that's kind of adding insult to injury to think that they played a crucial role in keeping a really low number of inventory when it came to new starter homes for millennials because they were 
you know, they were buying up all of these properties. They were outbidding their competitors and they did the same thing during COVID-19. They were paying cash above asking price and they single-handedly overinflated the value of those markets. And, uh, <laughs> oh, they were doing that like, like you have, well, I'm sure you have an idea. Obviously the, the, the greater Los Angeles area has one of, has always had one of the most insanely overvalued, uh, housing markets in the whole country. It's always been that way. Uh, Southern Florida, uh, it's pretty bad too. Uh, it's not as bad as LA, but it's still really bad. And we have a housing crisis just the same. We have people that can't afford to live. And then you have all of these circumstances. I mean, I remember one specific instance early on when I got into this and this gentleman who I knew had a portfolio, but he took like one look at this home, didn't even look inside and said, yeah, I'll take it. And I'm just thinking, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to work. And I knew not to do business with the guy. And that's the problem. Uh, one of the big problems in real estate is people want fast cash. Now, of course, for me, I'm in a more unique situation. I've had a small business that I've run for the better part of a decade. And unfortunately, basically went under during the pandemic and I had to find a new source of income. So I went out and I studied and I got my real estate license. And what I've learned is like anything that you do, much like in politics, if your dependency is on politics for your living, then you're subject to becoming completely captured, captured by the system. And so that is essentially what happens here in real estate as well. People who are dependent on a paycheck for an industry that has a lot of shady wheelings and dealings can very easily look the other way, knowing full well that maybe that, you know, that young family that's in our generation that is desperate for equity needs an opportunity to buy a home for, let's say, $200,000, but they have an investor who's going to buy it for $235,000 and they want that extra commission. It's very easy to say, well, I'm just going to go with whoever's offering the most amount of money. Mm -hmm. And Therein lies the lack of regulation within the real estate market that we have. This is a huge problem, and it is probably something that has stemmed for years and years and years. And so being a Los Angeles resident yourself, uh, this is also the after effects of what happens in uh, Western and Northern Los Angeles, Bel Air, Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, Calabasas, places like that, where the cost of living is just so exponentially high that in even more reasonable areas like Whittier and Reseda end up becoming just too expensive for regular working people to live in. Yep. And then you find yourself being pushed further and further out, whether into Riverside County, San Bernardino County. And then you get into the big issues of people, well, my job is in downtown Los Angeles and I have to commute because we have no freaking high-speed rail in this freaking country. You know, I have to commute two hours each way to my job just so that I can live. And I don't know how much longer people think they can ignore this problem before the, the, the dam is going to break. And it may break even worse than it did 12 years ago. I think so, too. And you're speaking to an issue that I do think ended up hitting South Floridians more in the last couple of years, because I think this has been building up for so long in California and Southern California in particular, that a lot of people have already been forced to make major changes and sacrifices to where they live. But I think that the, uh, the massive shift in the cost of 
housing in South Florida in particular, it made Miami County the most expensive place to live in 2022. Not the most expensive uh, in dollar amount, but the cost of living rising so much so that it became so hard to survive for working class renters. They were forced to pay. I think it got somewhere like ridiculously high where the average renter was putting over 50% of their income toward rents. Oh, absolutely. And so. Well, Miami's a huge problem. Um, and the problem with Miami is it's not, it, it Miami and just Florida in general has a gig economy. Mm-hmm. Southern California has uh, two major uh, commodity uh, industries. It has the film business and it has international trade. And so you have different ways to make a living in California that in Florida is a lot more difficult to do, but it wouldn't be as difficult if there wasn't this sort of wild, wild west free-for-all in the real estate market. And there's no question, and I'm seeing it now, because I'm just starting to get into my groove. By the way, Keller Williams, Central Broward, that is where I'm at. And so for those of you who have questions about real estate in South Florida, I can assure you the prices are coming down. But what's going to end up happening, and this is where the whole concept of the real estate bubble can happen again. Will it happen to the same degree it happened before? Probably not because people are not handing out mortgages like they used to. In fact, it's nearly impossible these days to get them. But you are looking at a a major recession because you have people that bought homes at probably 50, in some cases, 100% higher than the actual value of the home. Uh, People were shut out of the market for however long they were. But as you alluded to, you you have these private equity firms particularly BlackRock and Blackstone, that were just buying them up at such an exponentially high rate. And what they were doing, especially with condos, is they were buying up all of the condos. They weren't just buying up one or two. They were buying up hundreds. And when you would do that- They were companies. Companies, exactly. And so, well, Invitation Homes, you've probably heard of them. I mean, I have a friend that just got themselves stuck in a situation. And I warned them specifically. I, I said- you know, everyone, th- and that's the other thing about real estate is that everyone thinks that you can cut corners and get away with it. You can't. If you are not, now the problem is, is that there's not a lot of agents that really know what they're doing. Now that's fair. And I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. I certainly Oh, understand- throw them under the bus. Come on. Like, right, you got to make enough. this a little fun for me. <laughs> All right, fine. Million dollar listing, that shit that you have to, li- that, that you have to see that goes on in Beverly Hills. Let me tell you something. Anyone who is a real estate agent who treats this thing like you're some kind of quasi-celebrity, I hate reality TV. We could have a whole freaking podcast just talking about that and how the how the Kardashians absolutely destroyed society and the, the fact that you, you've seen the spawn. It's not the Kardashians. It's the spawn of the Kardashians. It's the dozens and dozens of these shows of just, you know, the, the, the whole- the, Glamorizing the like anything- Oh, yeah. Well, again, it's not about actually doing anything of value. One of my absolute best friends in the world who lives down here close to me, uh, she's obsessed with it. She she watches all of the Desperate Housewives shows. And for the life of me, I I just don't understand. I mean, I understand that, yeah, you don't want to think about stuff and all that. And that's why you watch the the, you know, sort of the smut TV, if you will. But it's it's not good. It, it is not good for society, and it's the dumbing down. It's the continuing dumbing down of society. 
And I was saying we all have to watch Mr. Rogers, but you know, just at least be informed about what's going on. And what's going on is really, really bad. And I, I'm just, I, I just fear that the things that we should be doing, particularly, and this also translates into the political side of things. You know, we can talk about the need to hold, you know, like the squad to account and things like that, and that's all very important, but. Unless we have a concerted effort to have a massive labor movement in this country of solidarity, we're, we're going right to hell. I mean, we're, we're just we're heading there right now. And at some point, we've got to stand up. I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. I don't know how other people feel, but that's me. And subscribing to that mindset, I think, is something that more and more people need to realize and that's the thing. It's like they th- and, and especially people that live relatively comfortably, even if they're just in that borderline middle class, upper middle class area, they really think there's too many of them to think that they're safe and that mm-hmm. the system itself is not going to come for them. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> it's it, you can't drink oil and you can't eat money. That's what I like to say. And that's kind of where we're at. And, and I just worry. I mean, I think that we're definitely heading into another recession because that's what the Federal Reserve intends to do. And I think that's because imagine, try, imagine trying to make a recession happen, like even putting yourself in that mindset, how, how, how the liberal class thinks that this is OK. I, what, what? I honestly we heard Joe Brandon say that he completely is faithful of our institutions, specifically the Federal Reserve. He he said he has full faith in their capacity to make the right decision. So we're talking about the same Fed chair under the Trump administration, mind you. I think it speaks to how the Democrats and the Republicans aren't so different after all. And if Jerome Powell says this is what we gotta do to, you know, stave off inflation, then there's not going to be any pushback. And that's the problem. The Democrats are willing to allow for people to suffer economically. I mean, we've been suffering up until this point. And now Joe Biden just has a little bit more of an excuse as to why he cannot exercise his bully pulpit or presidential power because the Republicans have that slim majority in the House, which will, you know, that will keep any legislation from passing from this point forward. He's a lame duck. And that's going to be his excuse from here on out. Oh, he's out in 24. There's no question. And the Democrats are going to literally, they're going, they're going to drag the whole country down with them. I mean, that's just the sad reality. But I, I do wonder, and I, and I would love to hear about this from your perspective, because you come from rural America. Why do you think liberals are so trusting of institutions? Like, I'm still really trying to understand. Because they're liberals. (laughs) They're liberals. So that's their nature to trust the institution and uphold the status quo. They're not interested in actually abolishing capitalism. They pretend that they want to reform capitalism. But at the end of the day, they're not really looking to implement real change because they're just as bought and sold as the Republicans. I think liberalism is just a nice, shiny little badge of honor that they wear because it makes them the better of the two evils. And they really pride themselves on that. It's the only way that they can make a distinction from their set of ideals 
is that they celebrate Pride Month and, you know, they're but that, they're but, that, but, they're in, but therein lies the rub because guess what? They're not better. And the they're reason not. they're not better is because the sympathy that I have towards conservatives, not deep South conservatives, but, you know, rural conservatives, Great Plains conservatives, you know, they come from states where, you know, the church is the center of the community. Education is completely depleted. And they believe what they feel, you know, is within the confines of what they understand. Liberals, on the other hand, tend to be people that come from the suburbs or big cities. They tend to not just be educated, they tend to be overeducated. And they tend to believe that they have, they are always the smartest person in the room. And yet very often they are the most naive person in the room. And sometimes they're the dumbest person in the room. And Mm -hmm. being so completely out of touch with reality is a very scary thought. And I have members of my family that are like that. And even if I try to explain to them the realities of what's around us, you know, they're very content to just kind of live in that bubble and think yeah. that, you know, I'll, 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 you know, put the, you know, like that sign that I saw all over uh, different, you know, liberal cities, you know, where they talk about like, we're anti-racist and we're black lives matter and this and that, and it's up, but don't move on our street mm-hmm. and don't yeah, move down our house or- <laughs> yeah, don't break down our property values. Don't right. go to our schools. We're just trying to signal to you. We don't actually want to help you if it's going to affect our ability to live at this level of society. Don't even yes. think about trying to even it out. You can't do that. I think what that's where... Was that? No, go ahead. Um, there's a little bit of arrogance that you will see in a liberal's repertoire whenever they're discussing politics and um, inevitably rubbing everybody the wrong way with their rather their limited scope of understanding but their competence in what they believe is right and true and correct and that's where I think it's really frustrating to even entertain the idea of giving liberals a little bit more time to learn and and broaden their horizons because they almost seem as though they are content with their limited information, kind of like it's ignorance is bliss type thing, when if they were forced to recognize their own blind spots, then there would be nothing standing in the way of label them labeling them a bigot instead of a you know, a woke, better of two evil type of, of, you know, identity politics lover that gives them the power to pretend like they're a better version of Republicans. And that's really what they want to maintain. They don't want to actually fight for change. They don't want to let go of the power that they hold. I think they recognize their class positioning and that they are elevated Uh, a little higher than the rest of the working class and the working poor. And in terms of their decisions that they make when it comes to whether or not they do allow that affordable housing complex to be built, they vote in the same way that a conservative would vote, not in my backyard. So you're correct in that liberals are much more inclined to support conservative movements that continue to benefit them pretend like they don't understand what they're doing and that gives them the feeling that they are better than the republicans when they're not 
And I don't know if that's necessarily lost on them. I think that they choose to be ignorant to their blind spots in many ways, no, if that I makes sense. No I, no, I think they know that. I think they know the score. I really do. And the reason I say mm-hmm. that is because of the way that the economy has changed in the favor of, of uh, you know, globalized uh, neoliberalism. So we live in a world today where the tangible qualities of real wealth building, and I'm not talking about wealth building from a you know a private equity firm. I'm talking about wealth building from a small business entrepreneur, a uh, person who learns a trade and is able to do something. It could be uh, you know a masonry business. It could be you know a plumbing service. It could be anything, but anything that requires you to go to a trade school, which trade school should be tuition free, just like public college, uh, state college should be tuition free. Uh, if people oh, want to yeah. learn a trade, if they want to learn how to be an electrician, there's a lot of things that we can have in the society that would allow people to have these advantages. The problem with a lot of the liberal society and the way they look at it is the people we're dealing with are not people that are tradespeople. They're people who work in private equity. They're people who work in the insurance and pharma industry. Yeah, there like people- PM. PMCs, like professional yes. managerial class. Oh, 100%. I mean, that really is, that doesn't get talked about enough is the way that the economy has been skewed so heavily towards private equity, towards non-tangible usage in society. This is one of the things that Andrew Yang was absolutely correct about in terms of automation, because day in and day out, you have more and more people that are not being trained in industries where they can be absolutely useful, I mean, California is a great example of a state that should absolutely have high-speed rail running along the Pacific Coast Highway. It <laughs> frankly can go all the way up to Seattle or Vancouver if you really wanted it to. And Lord knows that would help significantly uh, economically speaking. But no, we, why would we have that when that could potentially take away from somebody who is in that liberal class who invests in the very corporations, whether it is BlackRock or the like, that it's all about the shareholders. It's all about the stock value continuing to go up. I would say if a stock price is going up, it means a worker is getting screwed. And more and more and more, I don't invest in the stock market. And frankly, the people who do invest in the stock market have to know at this point that if you're investing in the stock market and the stock is doing well on a publicly traded corporation, odds are they are subjugating their workforce in a way that you can't even begin to understand. Or do they want to, yeah. Oh, they want to die. They don't want to know. They want to know that people who work at Amazon are literally pissing and shitting in their britches because they can't go to the bathroom because they're on a clock. And when they know, I mean, think about that. I mean, to me, that is as much as anything. I, the only time I ever get anything from Amazon, if I ever have to, a handful of times out of the year, is if it's the only place I can go to get what I need. That's it. You're a better man than I am because I order it far too often than I care to admit. But if you can shop small and buy local, you do what you can. I don't know what kind of farmers markets and you know local shops that they even have in in you know LA. I mean, it's been a it's been a couple of years since I've been there, but it's just it's just tough. It's it tough is. everywhere you look, and I, I really get tired of seeing how lack of labor solidarity there is in this country right now because we really need to figure out how we're going to work this thing out together it's it's not going to happen any other way one of my job one of my roles i believe as as a real estate agent is to just try to be if you follow my instagram page um you know because we follow each other as i would tell that to anybody is that what i try to do with my 
social media posts regarding real estate is to try to be as informative as I can be. I'm not trying to tell people, oh, hey, look at me. I've got a fancy car, a fancy home, and you can have this life too if you just do what I say. Mm-hmm. No, what I'm trying to do is tell people, as keep them as informed as possible, that knowledge is power. And in the real estate game, it's very powerful. They don't want you to know that even if you have something that isn't that impressive to look at, it's actually something that is working for you, not the other way around. When you're renting, you're paying somebody else who gets to live comfortably. And if you're renting for a corporation and you're renting from a corporation, forget it. They're literally robbing you blind. And more and more people need to know that. But these are the mega corporations that hide in the shadows. It's like people who think that Donald Trump is the most dangerous man alive. It's like most of you don't even know who Larry Summers is. Most of you do not know who Warren Buffett is. There are people who think Warren Buffett's a good guy, which is kind of scary. They think Elon Musk is a good guy. These guys because he eats McDonald's every day. Like, how bad could he be? Like, he's so frugal. Like, he's one of us. That Warren Buffett. What we need, <laughs> like, like friend of the show Carla Harrington says, is we need more worker co-ops. The, no, the, true. The, the greatest crossover we have in our culture is the crossover between libertarianism and socialism. And the sooner people realize that this country really is libertarian left, not libertarian right despite what people think, this country for the most part is socially conservative and economically progressive. There are people who want you to believe that this country is socially liberal and economically conservative. It is not true. And very often, whatever whatever is being said on MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News, it's a lie. Basically, whatever they're saying, pretty much believe the opposite. Like if Larry Kudlow is on TV and giving you advice, Make sure you do whatever he's betting on, bet the opposite. That's what I would say. You know, you mentioned the high-speed rail in California. And uh, interestingly enough, Elon Musk played a pretty significant role in keeping one portion of that high-speed rail project that they had in place that would run from L.A. to San Francisco. He kind of killed that plan and instead got public subsidy money to invest in his loop, his underground loop projects with the boring company that eventually made its way to Vegas anyway? Well, we had that problem right here in Fort Lauderdale. Dean Trantillisi, I'm calling you out, Dean, and I'll call you out every time I talk to you. That guy drives a Bentley, by the way. Um, So he's the mayor of Fort Lauderdale, and he was involved um, very closely with Musk to do an underground tunnel from one portion of Fort Lauderdale all the way out to A1A, which is where all the multimillionaires and billionaires live. And so we want to convenience them as much as we possibly can and screw over working people as early and as often as we can. Uh, Ultimately, I I think the measure is not going to go through because it's just asinine. Florida's built on limestone. You drill down a few feet, you're going to, you know, you're going to have a real problem on your hands, as is the case anytime it rains in Miami-Dade County. My, let me tell you something, and, and I'm way too honest for my own good when it comes to real estate. If anybody asks me, what is my opinion about investing in real estate in Miami-Dade County? I just say I wouldn't because I don't do business in Miami-Dade, and I wouldn't if you asked me to because it's not worth it. Do you it's think it's because risk. like the, the risk of like the likelihood is going to be underwater in like 10 years? It's not even the question of whether it'll be underwater. 
I think if a if a major hurricane hit Miami, yeah, Miami would go underwater. It would. People would the the, the, the tens of thousands would die. It, it would be really bad. And you know, if it's just like a regular raining day, it floods, which is just nuts. So it isn't really a question of whether Miami officially goes underwater. It's that flood insurance is going to be so high that you're not going to be able to insure the property anymore. How can you? It's just too much risk. And the justification for wanting to be there is even more insane. And so when I think about, you know, the crisis that we have at the border right now, and most of the time it's manufactured deliberately, I would say anytime there's a crisis at the border, it's because there's too many workers in this country who are hip to the game that's being run on them. So the attitude, especially when the Democratic Party is always given cover when it comes to crushing workers in a way that Republicans never get. So right now you have Starbucks workers, a lot of Amazon workers. The future has to be Walmart. Walmart workers need to uh, unionize. That's when that's when the change will really come. Because uh, we know the Waltons. You think that Bezos and Howard Schultz are tough? You wait. To, you mess with the Waltons nest egg and watch what happens. That's going to be a that'll be a that'll be a war like you can't even imagine. Remember, the Waltons are the reason why Bill Clinton, uh, almost Hillary Clinton, made it to the White House. They're their major benefactors, the biggest mm-hmm. ones they've ever had. And so that fight with labor intensifies every day. The labor, uh, the crisis at the border grows every day because the attitude on Capitol Hill and of all these major corporations, because corporate special interests run our government, is we are not going to give into labor at all. We'll just bring in people from other parts of the world and they'll work for a slave wage. Oh, and by the way, the workers of this country, they'll just be unemployed, completely, completely screwed. And so when I see these austerity hawks, these libertarian right type people who will insist that, well, if you make it too difficult for them, it's not even necessarily libertarians, it's just conservatives who have this attitude of, well, if you make it too difficult for the you know major corporations, if you tax them too much, then they'll just take their business elsewhere. And then what are you going to do? Like, do you not hear what you're saying? You're saying that workers have no rights. How in the fuck do you defend that? <laughs> True. No, it's absolutely that's absolutely correct. Um, I think a lot of people just like to regurgitate what they hear on Fox News or Fox Business, wherever they're getting their source of information. We don't have a lot of, ironically, because we hear this the most from like the free thinkers from the right. We don't have people thinking critically or for themselves anymore, and that's the big problem with liberals too. Liberals don't have an original thought of their own. They are literally just following the herd, the rest of the uh, the group's uh, collective rebuttal against, you know, the the right. And because they, there's no real means of obtaining information beyond the scope of what you learn in, you know, high school or college that doesn't, you don't learn about Marxist theory in in college much less high school you just you learn a whitewashed at best liberal version or liberal theory to coincide with the way that our government is ran is running or operating and people just don't question it people just don't question that there could be a better way of moving forward if we would go beyond the confines of liberalism especially on in in the democratic party well, the Democratic, Party, the Democratic Party is going to have a reckoning. It's going to happen. And it's probably going to happen as early as 24. 
because I think people are really getting tired of this. Um, I have been saying for well over, yeah, I've been saying for all over a year now that DeSantis is the next president. And every day that goes by, it just becomes more and more obvious that that's the direction that we're heading in. The thing that I fear is that DeSantis could ultimately end up being one of two types of presidents. He could end up being a, a, a president that basically allows the states to control their economies, which could potentially be good, but also very dangerous because there's the old austerity argument that could happen. Or DeSantis can end up becoming the private equity's biggest wet dream. He could potentially put Biden to shame. And so okay, we're heading. No, sure, sure, sure. I, what I remember reading about Ron DeSantis is that he was willing to go separate ways with BlackRock. I believe it was BlackRock, um, no. who is, I think, in charge of a few mutual funds for uh, Florida's public service, uh, service uh, retirement or pension funds, but yeah. firefighters maybe. And yes. he was uh, he was going to fire them and they were going to find a new mutual fund and private equity firm or asset management firm to, uh, you know, manage their pensions because of their, you know, nod to woke capitalism <laughs> because they support this idea of green investment in our economy and in uh you know, alternatives to energy consumption and production. And that was enough for him to be like, oh no, fuck BlackRock. I think that because he is catering to the most conservative and most hateful among us, that he could potentially kneecap his own ventures. Because I do I, think that he thinks that too. Like he kind of, he kind of, I think that's why people think he's so dangerous. I think he believes the shit that comes out of his mouth. Donald Trump, half the shit that comes out of his mouth, he doesn't believe. He just has to say it to cater to and pander to his right-wing audience. Well, what I would say about DeSantis is that, much like as I alluded to, um, the country, generally speaking, is uh, you know economically progressive. Because when you present them with the specific issues at bar, having a living wage versus living on welfare most people universally agree with a living wage. They don't want people living on the government dull. Who would? When it comes to health care, overwhelmingly, almost everyone I know, when the simple explanation for universal health care is a single-payer, government-funded, not government-run, health care system that eliminates the for-profit middlemen in between you and your doctor, people agree on that. People agree that we need a green energy, a clean energy economy. And yes, you want to have the conversation about nuclear? I'm happy to have it. Whatever is going to get us off of coal and natural gas the fastest is ha has to happen. If you want to talk about criminal justice reform, legalize or at least decriminalize all drugs. And I got to tell you, the libertarians, they're pretty much on board with all of that, especially ending the wars, these senseless, endless wars. You got Matt effing Gates leading the charge to get a military budget cut for the first time in how many generations? 75 billion, seven, eight percent of the military budget has been cut. Now, I know people look at that and say, well, that's nothing compared to what it needs to be. Well, the fact that it's been cut at all, all it keeps doing is going up, up, up. And now you finally got someone who says, no, we're going to slash it now. That's a big deal. And the reason I bring this up is because, again, this is all economic progressivism. This is not conservatism. It's all economically progressive. But when you get to the social issues of this country, this is a, this is a conservative country. 
that it is. And DeSantis is leaning really hard into it. And of course, the people who are running with it are the most extreme of them all. They're trying to get books banned in school, for God's sake. True. And it's going to work. That's the danger. The danger is it's going to work because you've got social liberals who seriously do not understand when they rub people the wrong way or where they draw the line just way too far. People should be able to live and let live. The biggest problem that they tend to have is that they think their way of living must be accepted by all at all times. And if you don't, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a misogynist. Oh, but I'm a, you know, I'm a straight white male, so I'm inherently evil to begin with. You know, it's it's shit like that that is going to end up with DeSantis getting into the White House because people just don't either. They choose not to get it. Or maybe we're just kind of hapless and just heading in that direction. I also think there's just way too many egos in the room. There's too many people in the left circles that have to be seen, have to be heard. There's always the sin fighting. They hate these other people. I tell you, the right, they're great at uniting. They can hate each other. They can fight, piss, moan, just like they did uh, for the past week with McCarthy. But when it comes to beating Democrats, oh, they'll line up together to, to, to squash Democrats, 100%. That's, That's true. The right has a lot more power and money behind them, and their espoused understanding of the world, their worldview, and their ideology is much more represented within the Republican Party than progressivism could ever be within the Democratic Party, too. And I think that's where it's really difficult to even feel like we have any power, and because it seems like it's an endless battle to even receive the proper kind of representation that would be needed to make top-down changes from within the Democratic Party. We just kind of are flightless birds here on the left who are, you know, fighting and, and mean well and doing our best and trying to fight for what we believe in. But I do think that the most progress we'll ever make is through organizing in real life. Ever. And yeah, I believe labor movements would be a huge, great step. And um, you're, you might hate me for this, but I think that there's an opportunity to create tenant unions as well. Well, so long as we, yeah, hmm? yeah, worker co-ops, things like that. Oh, I think that's absolutely no. I listen. I do believe. Uh, I believe in a hybrid system. I believe in a system that splices capitalism and socialism. That's what I believe. Because you can't have, again, the system can work, but if workers don't have equal say with shareholders, society can't function. It just can't work. So you think that there is a way to forcibly regulate capitalism? Because I don't believe that we can. I don't think that we can keep capitalism in place because there will always be an interest to find ways to, you know, skirt regulations, to use the loopholes that will be inevitably granted to them. I guess that's where we're going to be well, the absolutely same on other sides of the equation. Well, I mean, the, 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 the same argument is always made, you know, and again, obviously people conflate socialism with communism and all this junk. Mm -hmm. You know, the truth is whether it, the best course I ever took in college was government and business. I took it my sophomore, junior year. Um, but it was a course that really explained that, too much power on either side is just death. That's what you're going to get. So you can have it Hitler's way, you can have it Stalin's way, but either way, it leads to the graveyard because if there is no societal balance and it can't work, the human spirit can only be held down so hard. And that's the whole argument about capitalism is that the creation of, of things 
is inevitable human trait and cannot be curtailed forever. There's also the argument about inherent human greed, and you cannot deny that reality within the system that we live in. Runaway greed has completely destroyed the fabric of what the American democratic experiment was designed to be. You look at everything in our history, and everything suggests that what has happened, especially over the last probably 30, 40 years, is a direct result of the system falling apart. And it's falling apart every day. And all these major decisions that have been made over the course of that time, particularly during Clinton's administration, NAFTA, normal trade relations with China, the 94 crime bill, the 96 telecom act, the 99 repeal of Glass-Steagall, all of this stuff has led us to where we are now. George W. Bush started endless war in a way that we never thought could have been conceivable. Obama put it on steroids. Trump was completely in over his head. And now you're in the worst possible situation where the country is literally going to hell in a handbasket. And you have the ultimate status quo president who is so thoroughly in cognitive decline that I don't really know or trust anything that he says or does, because I don't think he is acting independently. I think all of his decisions are being made at, on, on his behalf. I always honestly, think- I think that might be for the best. I don't know, because like the Joe Biden, we all know and love, right? The Joe Brandon, like the children. He was the he was the arch- proudly the architect of like how many of the bills that you just listed that were to the detriment of American society. He was definitely the architect of the crime bill, that's for sure. He definitely yep. put people on the Supreme Court that have no business being there. You know, our own court system is completely bought and paid for at this point. You know, you'd have right. to be completely naive not to admit that that's reality. And how people That's the reason why I don't know if we can coexist with these capitalists because I think they're too powerful. Well, and I'd like to yes. I'd like to see what we can do if we had actual democratic processes in place. Because I don't know if if we had the if we had the dictatorship or the proletariat, for example, and we had what would be the co-opt model that would extend far beyond our economic situation, that we couldn't possibly exist and coexist if we didn't have those unjust hierarchies that were kind of antagonizing us and and keeping us in a perpetual state of oppression. I just think that it is a big ask uh, for a lot of people who maybe are right now feeling more comfortable than the rest of us to join forces and begin this endeavor of, you know, fighting for a a better system, a better world for everyone and not just a few and not just accepting incremental change over the course of however many years, because I think climate change is a very real thing and time is of the essence and If we are going to live to see, you know, a world that isn't ravaged by climate change catastrophes, we're going to have to uh, get a stranglehold on overcapital because they are playing a prominent role. They are the reason, in fact, that we are, I think, getting inching closer and closer to climate change catastrophes that will be irreparable, irreparable damage. You know, California is turning into, you know, a state like Wyoming or a state like Montana where, you know, it's it's not meant to have that type of a population. And the more that, you know, the dry seasons just grow bigger and bigger, 
the more that the brush fire becomes a problem. Although we had uh, a guest on our show from Ireland who talked about, um, you know, goats and the effects that they have on eating uh, the brush and what that could do. But that's just one thing. You know, until you're willing to change the energy grid and you have a terrible governor, I have to say. I mean, you really do. And, you know, because he's, uh, you know, Don Draper playing a politician who thinks he's going to be president, which is a hoot. But I mean, you know, I listen, I never want to underestimate the uh, the the, the, the pain, how far charisma the can go. Because, yeah. like, everyone's going to want to get a beer with Gavin Newsom, you know? Like, and uh, we had Donald Trump for four years. <laughs> and it was Let's really great. It was the greatest, incredible time in our nation's history. There That's it how it will be written. It'll be wonderful. Believe me, I wrote it myself. And that's the sad part is that we're living in, we're living in the world of, of ultimate vanity. You know, it's like in the devil's advocate, vanity, my favorite sin. And it's true because the vain existence that we live in where people overvalue material wealth versus, you know, structural wealth, um, when you're talking about the ability to drink clean water, have, you know, a living wage to have housing, to have health care, you know, those things are not as elusive as people think, but the people who have an opportunity to make a stand are just refusing to do it. And that's got to change. And the only way it will change is if we build a, a, a labor movement big enough where we can actually move the needle in the direction that it needs to move in. Um, the system that is possible in the United States is one where the balance between the workers and the shareholders evens itself out. Now, whatever you want to call that system, if you want to call it democratic socialism, if you want to call it um, a social democracy, a hybrid system, whatever it is, it needs to happen and it needs to happen as soon as possible. Uh, and you also have to be able to convince enough people that this is the only way forward because Capitalism on its own can't survive and socialism on its own can't survive. And so we need to do whatever we can to bring as many of those people together. And in the process, as just the same, being able to inform people as much as possible about what they can and can't accomplish regarding their own uh, personal wealth and retirement. Because right now, I mean, the percentage of people in this country that literally will go into complete poverty, if they miss one paycheck, if they have one bad accident and have to go to the hospital. I mean, the fact that we have for-profit hospitals in the United States should just make people f lose their minds. But this is a conversation that I think you and I can have, um, you know, probably pretty frequently. And I think it's, um, I mean, I love talking to you. And I think that these, uh, it, it's better to talk with somebody that you don't agree with 100%. Because we all too often want to just have these conversations in these echo chambers where we feel comfortable about, oh, yeah, we totally agree. Actually, no, you're not supposed to agree on everything. You're supposed to actually figure out ways to build solidarity around issues that really matter. That's why labor is a great equalizer. I've spoken to countless people in labor, and, and I know plenty of people in labor unions. There are just as many Bernie supporters as there are Trump supporters. But they happen to agree on a lot of those foundational issues that can help change this country for the better. So I really do think that if we work uh, as, a as a consensus almost, 
in the circles that we focus on to really build up and out the labor movement, that's that's our ticket. That's our best shot. If we fail, we fail. But if we're going to give it our best shot, to me, having some type of a radical labor movement in the U.S., it's long overdue. And it's the only way I think we get out of our own way. And of course, I've got this wonderful, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'll, I'll put my vest on. Put on that yellow vest. No, I mean, I agree with you. I do think that we're going to have to, uh, as leftists, and as I, I'm inching closer to feeling comfortable calling myself a communist even, uh, understanding that it takes a little while for people to fully even understand their own oppression. And if we are not setting a good example and, and having conversations uh, and exhibiting this ability to talk to one another, then we're not necessarily doing anyone any favors. Uh, and I'm trying to be a little bit more mindful of that and not being so closed off and allowing for a little bit of diversity of thought and opinion. No right wingers, though, like no conservatives, unfortunately, um, do I because I I have. I have a little bit of a hesitation to to bring on a, a conservative, but that's just me. But if you I do totally, that, if you talk to conservatives, then good for you. Like we all have our roles to play. There's Listen, there's conservatives in the chat. There's friend of the show, Metopoly, who says that climate change is a sham. It's like, look, I can't help you, pal. I, can't I just want to talk to people like that who are like, oh, like, give me your time. Give me your give me your ear. I think climate change is a sham. Now, let's debate. You know what I mean? Like, it can be really hard to even entertain uh, conservatives. Well, all I would say to somebody who says that climate change is a sham. OK, let's say that it's a sham. Do you think it's fair to say that people should be able to have clean water to drink? Because if you think that clean water to drink is something that people should have, then you should be against coal fracking oil drilling. You should be against all of it and figure out a way to move on because that's why people can't survive. That's why people are poisoned constantly. If you had, and again, there's no you know, clear cut solution to the problem, but there are options that are out there that will make it better. And as a result of moving in that direction, whether it is with solar, wind, geothermal, hydro, even nuclear, whatever, what you will do is effectively eliminate the carbon footprint. And if you do that, then the water inevitably will be cleaner, if not clean. And that's just one example. So for those that are just looking for reasons to say, well, if they deny climate science and all that, it is what it is. I still think there's always a way to have that conversation. I mean, I grew up with it in central Jersey. I mean, I have a friend, it, I have a friend who once said, I'm to the right of fascism. That's how insane uh, uh, the type of people that I've, that I, that I grew up with. In central I, Jersey, no less. Huh? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, oh, yeah. The devil Monmouth, really is in Jersey City, huh? Uh, Monmouth County, New Jersey, Ocean County, New Jersey. Oh, you've got serious conservatism in that part of the state, that part of the country. It exists. People believe what they believe. That doesn't, you know, I mean, to me... It, it is tough because everyone has a different opinion about how we get where we're going to go. It's not easy to have these conversations, but they have to be had. Yep. And, you know, somebody who's as left on the dial, if you will, as our friend Mike Figueredo 
or somebody who is either center or even right on the dial is somebody like Tim Poole. You know, we have relationships with um, a lot of these individuals that have very large audiences and very heavy influence. And the best thing that I could say about what we do is that we're willing to talk to anybody that is at least open to the idea that even if we do not agree on everything, we at least agree that labor is the future. It has to be, or we're in deep shit. I mean, we already are. It's just a question of whether we're going to get out of it. And that's the beauty of what you do. That's what I try to do, try to be as informative as I can be. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing more of these types of conversations, especially now that I'm in, you know, really into, into real estate. And I'm glad that you were willing to uh, listen to my semi-capitalist viewpoint of Oh. Well, you're a real estate agent. Of course, I knew that I was going to be getting into a little of the a little bit of this discussion. So not that there's, you know, I've actually this might make you happy. I find myself looking at housing discourse a lot, especially on Twitter. And right now there is a huge there's a huge discussion talking about like who's the real baddies. Um, because there was an Atlantic article talking about how BlackRock isn't actually the one who is to blame with the housing crisis that we're in, it's actually your neighbors. It's actually local officials who are, you know, with their zoning codes that are making it really difficult to build, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah. Like it's your neighbors. And the, the reality is that, that you have NIMBYs, you have people who weaponize the democratic process who will say not in my backyard, but at the same time, you're seeing a lot of like Marxist Leninists even saying you can't lump together individual homeowners with the landlord class that's not fair they're two different things so yeah and there are people who um and and remember there are people who don't want to own a home they just want to rent that is their prerogative but there's a huge difference between people who have the choice and the people who don't have a choice yep and that's the world we're trying to change have you I mean, ever heard of a CLT model, though, real quick? CLT? Can't say. Yeah. yeah. Community land trust model. It is a model that is not often used because they're difficult to actually uh, create as it requires the purchase of homes and lands and property from the market. And it can be really expensive to do so. But basically, it is the transfer of private property to a public trust that then holds the land in a in a trust and then allows people to own 99 year ground leases which is like partial yeah, ownership yeah mm-hmm. that will be passed down intergenerationally you can still you can still build and uh, acquire equity but it's just not as much than you would through traditional home ownership and that is a model that I firmly support as an alternative to our current market. I would be interested to maybe circle back and have a follow-up discussion on that one day. We're happy to. I okay. think that that's, you know, and I think all of these conversations regarding real estate are very important. But the one thing, as I try to tell people, you know, we're not going to agree on everything, but I think we can agree on the for-profit middlemen that are destroying our lives Mm-hmm. And not the least of which are these private equity firms that make it impossible for people to achieve home ownership. You know, a lot of times what you'll hear from people on the right is we just have to get rid of the corruption and the corruption and the corruption. And they're correct. 
but their solution to dealing with the corruption is not actually dealing with the infrastructural change that has to happen. And that's the big issue. And getting to that point is when we'll, we'll have a breakthrough. But I think there are enough people who are starting to get it. And that's why, you know, we do what we do. And obviously, oh, yeah. always great to talk to you. Uh, let's uh, let's do it again soon. And Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and thank you for what you do, Amy. And let me tell you, it never hurts to be an attractive woman who can <laughs> talk some sense into a lot of these guys. Because let's face it, a lot of the misunderstanding come from a lot of, it's, it's from a lot of men. And so if they're willing to listen to your ideas, are you going to get them all? do what I can. Yeah, you're not going to get them all. But there are the ones that are going to, you know, it's like, it's like somebody who says that I shouldn't go on or, or Jen shouldn't go on, you know, Tim Pool's show or go on uh, Michael Knowles' show. And my attitude is this. If 10% of that audience becomes agreeable to what we're talking about, then it's more than worth it. Because that's what I'll it's keep about. that in mind if I ever get an invitation from Tim Pool. Sure. The same is true for anybody who's coming on and listening to your show who may not necessarily know what you're about, but they say, oh, yeah, she looks, she's cute. I'd like to listen to her. What does she have to say? And then the next thing you know, you start talking about this, that, and the other thing, and then they really start thinking about the realities of the world in a way that maybe they didn't really think about before. And then minds change, and change can ultimately come from that. And that's the, that is using what you can for good. I wish more people had that mindset of, I'm going to do what I can to try to make things better for others. The more we take on that type of mindset, the better off we're going to be. You want to call it the collective? Call it whatever you want. But we're, not, we're running out of places to go, ladies and gentlemen. We have to figure out how we can come together. The sooner we do that, you know, maybe we might, we might save ourselves. Maybe we won't. But I'll tell you what. I ain't going to get on my knees to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, if I have to die on my feet, then I'll die on my feet. But that's, I, that's the way it should be. And I would imagine that you feel the same way. I do. Appreciate you, my friend. Have a great evening. Uh, Like you said, let's do this again soon. I really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Hell yeah. I, I loved it. Let's talk soon for sure. Talk to you, bud. Bye. Bye. So I hope you guys found that conversation informative. Uh, We will do more of these as we go forward. Like I said, I'm going to focus a lot on, uh, you know, the real estate side of things, which is what I do. And if you ever have any questions, you know, let me know. Uh, obviously happy to fill in uh, any way that I can. Um, it's late, so I got to get rolling, as is my awesome friend and producer, Ben. He's got a roll too. So smash that like button, get it out there. Questions abound. Uh, you can email me at peterhager at kw.com if you have any questions. Thanks for staying up late. Dirtbag Leftist, Metopoly, Jesus, uh, Richard, uh, each and every one of you guys who hung around, Carrie, hung around tonight to have this conversation, really appreciate it. And all the best to you. And for our regular show, we'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.